Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Hello and thanks for downloading Outspoken, the podcast that brings you the very best of our daily Talk Sport show. On today's show, we were joined by Conor Ben's defence team as they believe they've gathered evidence that the boxer did not take a banned substance. But we started by reflecting on the controversial circumstances surrounding England's second Ashes Test defeat at the hands of Australia. How often can we say this? Cricket, our top story this morning, despite Ben Stokes' heroics, 155, no less. Uh, England lose the second test, but uh, that wasn't all. That wasn't all. A whole lot to discuss this morning, not least that Johnny Bairstow run out and then the reaction from posh people in the long room. We're going to get to that very shortly. Um, Talk Sports Cricket Editor John Norman joins us live. Um, John, where do you begin this morning? Good morning to you. I suppose the headline story is that England have got one more effort to save the series. Yeah, you're right. I mean, at the end of five days, another uh, jaw-dropping test match, which really has confounded expectation and taken us in areas we never, ever expected to find ourselves in. Um, the simple fact is is that England, for all the positivity, are 2-0 down with three to play. Um, uh, the sub-stories in and amongst that, though, you know, the Blazers uh, kicking <laughs> off with the Australians in the long room. Johnny Bairstow, of all the players on the field who should know he should stay behind the crease until over is called as the wicketkeeper who was attempting to do exactly what Alex Carey managed to do. And, of course, um, another wondrous moment when Ben Stokes was at the crease where you you literally thought, or I certainly started to dream that I was going to be privileged enough to see lightning strike twice. Yes, um, yeah. But it wasn't wasn't to be, of course. It, it wasn't to be. So, John, I mean, I know Simon of his uh, contribution to make in a second. And after quarter past ten, we're going to be hearing from cricket-loving Lord Archer. Geoffrey Archer is going to be joining us as well. But on the Bearstool run-out, right decision? Oh yeah, it was. It was a, well. It was absolutely the right call. Right. Uh, it was a right. stumping. Right. And essentially, there's. I don't think there is any argument whatsoever that whether he was out or not, he was out. Now, whether the Australians should have withdrawn the appeal, this uh, notion of the spirit of cricket. Well, you've personally, I, I flip it round. 
you know, and I, I asked myself, would I would would I have wanted to have seen Ben Stokes do the same thing with England one nil up, going to become two nil up, when uh, Steve Smith's done something dozy at the crease? You know, is is he is he calling Steve Smith back? The man himself says he would have done, or certainly suggested he would have had a good think about it. Um, but at the end of the day, it's uh, it comes down to opinion. Some people feel that the Australians, you know, behaved. In a in a manner that was uh, more skullduggery than uh, than than cricket skills, other people see it as simple as it's a it's a stumping as though any other stumping. It's well, it's well, the way well, it's a right. manner of getting out. It's just well, how it is. Simon, we'll get your take in a second. This was the opinion of the two captains, Stokes and Cummins, on the Bearstow incident. Take the whole situation in consideration. I think it, the first thing needs to be said: it is out. Um, you know, Johnny was in his crease and then left his crease to come out and have the conversation in between overs like every batsman does and I think if if I was a fielding captain at the time I would have put a bit more well a lot more pressure on the umpires to to ask them what their decision was around the over and then would have had to have a a real think around the, the spirit of the game and would I want to potentially win a game with something like that happening and it would be no oh, I thought it was fair you know see Johnny do it all the time he did it day one to David Warner you did in 2019 to Steve. It's a really common thing for keepers to do if they see a batter keep leaving their crease. So, you know, cares full credit to him. Saw the opportunity. I think Johnny did it a few balls beforehand. Rolled at the stumps. Johnny left his crease. You leave the rest of the umpires. So, Simon, the, the, the view of the two captains and John Norman, if anybody uh, gets it right consistently in, in terms of cricket commentary, it's John. So it's the right decision, right? Within the laws of the game, of course it was the right decision, but it's a crappy way to win. I mean, there is a manner. I mean, it's ruthless, and they and as and as the captain pointed out, as Cummings pointed out, it's something they've obviously worked on and looked at. They've seen him walking out of his crease, uh, and he talks back to the times they've done it in 2019, so they know he does it. So they are professionally uh, adept and adroit enough to be able to see this. Um, Why is that it, a crappy way to win? Because it's there was no advantage being gained by, by Bairstow. I mean, I would like him to have been as diligent with his batting as he was without getting that idiot off the pitch from Just Stop Oil. But it's not a case of backing up and a bowler watching someone taking yards up the pitch from the from from the pop increase and backing up. This is a completely different dynamic. This is somebody that's just walked out of his crease because he believes an over's been called. I, there's two two sides to this particular conundrum with with Stokes. What would we have done if Stokes had done it? Um, some people would say, yeah, that's what we like. A bit of ruthlessness. Do to the Australians what they'll do to you. Yeah, right. but your mate Michael Vaughan was saying that last week. And too friendly to the Australians. He's got to beat them. There's another part of it which says there is a manner in which you win, right? And a manner in which you should win. But unfortunately, we've seen some of the greatest injustices in sport that have gone down in the history books as still a win. We see Maradona beating England in 1986 and whilst it comes up at the end of the day it still reads 1986 World Cup winners Argentina and that's the legacy that gets passed on down so there's an element of is this you know I don't I don't go into the camp of this isn't cricket because it's a British stuff stiff upper lip way I, I believe that there's a way to win things and you win them by beating the opposition by being better than them but right? this was a legitimate way to win well it, it's a legitimate way to win because it's within the rules of the, of the game but really and truly you have to look at that situation and say what advantage was being created by Bairstow? It's his own fault. Andrew Strauss was quite flippant about the fact he was dozy. I, I, I listened to a lot of those uh, captains and people speaking after the game. Peterson, who just says things to create, create controversy anyway and make it all about himself, and Strauss. 
And I look and I think, I tell you what, I don't think you'd be quite as laissez-faire about it if you'd have been involved in the situation, but this is the nature of the beast. And when you go into the MCC room and you listen to those members, I, these Australian players, they're the worst for the sledging, they've got plenty to say for themselves, and all of a sudden, a couple of members say a few things to them and it's a four-act play. I mean, let's have it right. I know, but I mean... I mean, let's have it right. I do what, think people should keep their trap shut and the members should have, you know, if, they, if, if we're going to be in that environment and say it's not the spirit of cricket over here, then it's not the spirit of cricket for their behaviour to be giving it to the Australians, but the Australians making a four-act play out of it is just... I, I just think it's slightly laughable well, given I mean, the way they conduct themselves half the time. I'm not so sure that they made a four-act play out of it when the MCC stepped in and, 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 and kicked these three out. I mean, John, what's your take on this? Could you ever have envisaged the the old-school tie brigade copping for it in the green room for stepping out of line? In the long room, no. I beg your pardon. I mean, I, I've never seen anything like that at Lords for sure. It was a, a very different crowd on day five because uh, essentially, instead of shelling out two hundred pound a ticket, you could get a ticket for twenty five quid because you're gambling a bit because you don't know whether the cricket is going to be taking place. So a fifth day crowd is a bit like you know Sunday at Wimbledon when there's been rain and it's just it's a different kind of crowd, but it's not a different kind of crowd um, in the MCC in the Pavilion. You can't just you know rock up and spend twenty five quid to get in there. I think I kind of see where Simon's coming from, but I also think, look, you know, the, it might be a general generalization, but the people in there are people of privilege. And I think it is a privilege to be that close. I mean, you're literally that close. You're so close to the players when they come in um, that I think you do have to be mindful. You know, they have stepped off the field of play. They're not players as they are going off for their lunch. And, you know, you can speak to Steve Harmison about how, how cramped the quarters are in there. It, it's a truly unique building in world cricket, oh, sorry, world sport, where you can have the players and the spectators so close together uh, during a, a break in play. And I, I think that they they clearly overstepped the line um, and they've been punished. We move on. The Australians have got a, uh, a long-standing record in terms of bad behaviour on the field, you know, and it goes back... Yeah, on, on the field, Ian Chappell bowling underarm balls. On the, fe on well, the field, sled, though, not, not in this a, long room routine. Yeah, of course, of course. And, and I think, look, they, they overstepped the mark. Some of the footage that come, is coming out of it is, you can see people are genuinely angry about what they have just seen. And, you know, there's a lot of focus about what happened in the dressing room or as the players are making the way to the dressing room, rightly so. But I tell you what, guys, I saw scenes at Lords I've never seen before. I've been on cricket tours before, and at the end of a long day's play, when people have had too much to drink, you, you do see incidents, you see fights, you see predominantly men, young men coming to blows and they're turfed out. Yesterday, I didn't see that. What I saw was like 60-something uh, 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 couples who've you know come over to England for a trip of a lifetime, getting harangued by groups of uh, English fans and essentially giving it back. I mean, there was just widespread arguments going around the field or around the stands, wherever you looked. It was, it was a unique position. It was never threatening. It was never going to spill over into anything more untoward. But it was certainly a unique situation and just, just shows... What a flashpoint that Johnny Bairstow stumping situation yeah. turned out to be. Okay, John, thank you very much indeed. Basically, one of the questions we're asking this morning is should decorum override spice? You know, is it important 
to 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 keep it keep it simple but keep it well mannered especially in this place that they call the long room because that is for the privilege that's why they paid big money presumably to be in there the waiting list is something like 20 years or something somebody mm -hmm. tried to tell me this morning so i mean have the tie winning brigade really brought shame on the sport one man who might tell us whether they have or they haven't is cricket loving lord jeffrey archer he's next 100% engagement. Outspoken with White and Jordan. We've got our minds this morning on cricket. As England go two down in the series to Australia. But that was one side of the story. So many other aspects uh, of the story um, came out of the events at large yesterday. Simon's alongside me this Monday morning. And I'm delighted to say we are joined by a gentleman who it's fair to say loves his cricket and is one of the most knowledgeable individuals on that very topic. And he's Lord Geoffrey Archer. Lord Archer, good morning to you. Good morning, Jim. Good morning to you. Simon's alongside me. We're delighted you're back in our show. Um, before we get into some of the minutiae that came out of yesterday, let's talk about the fact that England are two down. Is this series now drifting away from England? Well, I would have said so if the teams weren't so evenly divided. I mean, we only lost the first match by two wickets, and frankly, we should have won it. And because of our antics in the first innings, this time we only lost by 43, despite a 91 lead the Australians had in the first innings. So, no, I think not all is lost. And on one occasion, the Australians came back from 2-0 down and won 3-2. So... I think the odds are not good, but fingers crossed. Okay, so let's get to it. On this Johnny Bairstow um, run out, he was stumped and gone. Hugely controversial. Not in the spirit of the game and all that, but it was the right decision, yeah? Technically, the law says it was a right decision, but what I found interesting and haven't seen in the papers this morning or heard on radio and television is to keep reminding people it was the last ball of the over. If it had been one of the first five balls, I suspect Johnny Bairstow would have remained in his crease. But as it was the fifth ball, sixth ball, sorry, and he'd been bowled, bowled a bumper, he leant down, I watched it very carefully, he leant down, it was the sixth ball, it landed in the gloves, of Kerry, and he assumed that was the end of the over. Now, you can describe that as naive, as several papers have. But in the spirit of the game, it might have been wise, perhaps not for Kerry, who, to do him justice, may have done it on the spur of the moment. But the captain Cummings might have walked over to the umpire and said, as Breeley did on one occasion. I don't think we'll uh, go ahead with that. We'll withdraw that appeal, sir, and walked away. Not a hope. Now, what is really interesting for you two to discuss is it's not long ago in Newlands, South Africa, that two people who were on that pitch, Smith and Warner, when they were captain and vice-captain of Australia, admitted ball tampering and cheating. And when they were confronted with it, Smith burst into tears 
and said, if I'm ever given another chance, I'll never do anything like that again. And Warner said, yes, I have been caught cheating. I'll never do it again. One of them might have walked up to Cummings and said, this isn't in the spirit of cricket but neither of them did. Aha. So Jeff, Jeffrey, I brought that up. I brought, I, I brought that specifically up about Steve Smith um, and his behaviour. Oh. I brought that up as well. Oh. I mean, the challenge is, is, Jeffrey, do you think if England were 200 runs behind with eight wickets down and there was no chance of winning that game, the Australians would have done precisely what you suggest they would that, that might or you know that might really did all those years ago because the game was in jeopardy. They knew that England, the game was afoot, and that Ben Stokes was in the groove, and Bairstow and Stokes would have given us a distinct possibility of winning that game. And I think it was more about their ruthlessness than perhaps the attitude of Warner and Smith to give Cummins a nudge. Don't you think? I accept that without question. But may I add, without every woke person coming back at me. If you believe in the spirit of the game, it doesn't matter what the situation is. You behave properly. Okay, the Australians want to win at any cost. So be it. Let them have it, is my attitude. I have always been proud to stand up and applaud someone who beats my team. When, when Lyon came onto the pitch, and I was in the ground, when Lyon came onto the pitch hobbling, yeah. I stood and applauded. And when he left, I stood and applauded. I thought that showed such courage. Yeah. And I was so full of admiration. Jeffrey, what would you I have said? What would you have said if Ben Stokes had done it? What would your attitude be? Oh, that's a question. That's a well, question. No, it isn't. You two are half asleep. Have you not Have you not read the morning papers? Ben Stokes said he would not. No, no, I'm not telling you what it. he said he would have done, right? Because it's easy to say you wouldn't do it if you're not put in that position. But we're talking about winning and losing, and you're saying it's winning at all costs, right? What would you have said to, to Stokesy if he'd have done it? I would have remained silent if I'd been a member of his team <laughs> and, and, spoken to, and spoken to him in private in the Je pavilion. Jeffrey, this morning, the MCC suspended three members over their roles in the unsavoury scenes in the so. long room. Right. Give me your take on that. because Absolutely uh, right. These are the, the so-called privilege, right? Absolutely. I have the privilege of being a member of the MCC. The way to behave when that team came in, it's traditional when the opposition team come in, or indeed as just as much your own team, you applaud as they enter the long room, take that long walk up the stairs to, the, to their particular uh, place. Now, I think the way to behave was just not to applaud. That would have been a much stronger message. Silence sometimes is a great message. Yeah, but is that in the spirit of the game? Is that in the spirit badly. of the game? Not applauding. Well, they behaved badly, those three. And uh, I was glad that the Guy Lavender, our secretary, decided to uh, 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 ban them while an inquiry takes place. Uh, they were just as bad as Cummings not going up to. Now, uh, uh, Simon Heffer writes a very good article in today's Telegraph, where he says he understands that Kerry might have done that on the spur of the moment. But after, after a few moments, when the umpires were having a discussion, that was the time when Cummings should have said, wait a moment, 
This is, do we need to win at any cost? And to which Cummings decided, yes, we need to win at any Did cost. Did you hear what Cummings said, though, about the fact that they've tracked this and they've seen Besto doing it, and they it's actually in their vision line, Jeffrey. They talked about him doing it in 2019. So this wasn't a case of Kerry acting in isolation. This was something they knew that Besto did. Yes, which does show that the suggestion in the Times this morning um, is that he was naive. Uh, I can't. I'm not saying that Kerry didn't keep to the law. I'm not saying that that wasn't the cor- correct. I'm not saying they didn't even track it. But come on. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. In the world of boxing, we are assured it is a matter of time before we see Conor Ben back in the ring. How is that? Well, if you remember, Conor Ben, of course, was due to fight Chris Eubank Jr. But then news came through to us when you and I were on air, Simon, that very day, that Conor Ben had failed not one, but two medical tests and the fight was no longer going to happen against Eubank Jr. The fight was off and has not been rescheduled since. Now all the talk is, when are we going to see Conor Ben again? When are we going to hear of Conor Ben proving his innocence, as he has said on countless occasions that he would do? 
Well, now we are joined by gentlemen from Conor Ben's team of advisors who say it's a matter of time before Conor Ben's innocence will indeed be proven. Uh, Rennie Carriol, uh, MBE, is one of a team of doctors and scientists who believe that they have gathered the evidence that proves that Conor Ben did not take a banned substance. And Rennie Carriol joins us live here in studio. Rennie, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Jim. We're putting you right in the spot. What have you got? Evidence. Proof. Everything we've done has been evidence-based. So I think for the first time, we've got data, we've got analysis, we've looked specifically at what was inside Connor. We've examined that, and we believe we've got the evidence that proves that he never took a banned substance. What we can prove is contamination, yes. Structured drug testing, no. How much detail can you go into, Rennie, at this stage? I mean, what... Well, one of my colleagues is on with me, Dr. Muhammad Eniat. And yeah. Well, let's take as much detail and as much time as you like, because this is forensic. We, remember, we came in three months ago. We haven't been here from the start. I met Connor, and Connor was introduced to me as someone who was at the lowest point of his life, an emotional wreck. I'm an executive coach, I specialise in chief executives, and I've done a number of boxers, Ricky Hatton, David Hay, Ashley Theophane, know a little bit about the boxing game, but much more about people, confidence. And there hadn't been any safeguarding on Connor. There wasn't a duty of care performed. He was hammered everywhere. Duty of care performed by whom? I would say the industry. Let's be specific, such as whom? So I would say from the testing authorities, from no support around him, and as he was just hammered and there was no voice backwards. What we've what we've learnt in the boxing industry, this is Well, there wouldn't have been a voice coming back from the testing authorities because they've tested him, they've seen him fail they've seen him fail tests. It's not their job to subsequently represent him. I one I'm not sure that's correct, Simon. Well you may well not be because you're advancing a notion that's defending Connor's position. But surely the management team around Connor is part and of his that. promoters would have been the ones that would have been carrying the messages. All the above. Rather than imparting a particular brand of wisdom that entranched Connor in a particular position that started this horrible descent and race to the bottom. I think there's there might be a grain of truth in what you say, Simon. But I'd, a grain of truth I'd, I'd open it up a little bit more. Boxing is adversarial. It's confrontational. It's zero-sum. It's in order for me to win, someone has to lose. And that's not just in the ring. It appears to us and everything we've done, it's out of the ring as well. Right, Rennie. Uh, you, I know, have enlisted doctors into this process. Yes. One of them, as you mentioned earlier, is joining us live. Well, so three of us is about to become four of us. Dr. Mohammed Enayat is a GP who ran tests on Ben, and he joins us live. Uh, Dr. Enayat, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon, guys. Thanks so much for joining us. So as you can hear, your colleague Rennie Carriol is here in studio in London with Simon and myself. What do you have that categorically will show us that Ben is, has been innocent all along? It's Well, it's been a really interesting journey uh, working with Connor just over the last few months. Um, I myself am a physician in personalised medicine, so I work in the NHS as a GP, but I specialise outside of that in individual biological footprints that get to the root cause of problems, whether it's usually disease state or optimal performance. 
And with Connor, what we identified, it was a journey. So what we initially identified was that he his estrogen levels were higher than normal. And we do see that in the population, actually. It's quite common in the current um, society we live in. It's a, it's a functional imbalance called estrogen dominance. Thereafter, this led me to look a bit deeper in some testing, genetic testing particularly, that looks at his individual genes that are involved in the processing of hormones. Uh, we found that he has some ge genetic snips or mutations in the genes or variations in his genes. But most interestingly, particularly the gene CYP2D6, so I won't get too technical, but there is one particular gene that's responsible for breaking down estrogen as well as breaking down clomiphene. Even men, we have estrogen within our bloodstream. Um, and so the, for me at that point, it became, right, it was more interesting to me at that point. We understand that he has a reason for why he's accumulating clomiphene in the first place. And what, and what is that of, reason? What is that reason? Because his genetic, because his, his genes mean that he, he won't, he won't uh, detox it or remove it as well as other people. Um, like myself or yourself, for example, uh, without testing your genes, you won't know for sure. Um, and then thereafter, it became, all right, now we know that he will accumulate both estrogen, and that's confirmed in his bloods, and clomiphene compared to the, the average person who doesn't have that gene slip. Um, the next question goes on to the levels in his VADA testing, which now falls outside of my expertise, um, is that concurrent? The actual amount in his urine found, is that concurrent with all taking the drug orally or from contamination from food because by that point in March, I think, uh, when we started to work with him, WBC had already come out with the uh, suggestion that it could be coming from eggs based off a study that was done in 2022, I assume. Yeah. So then we sought out scientific experts in the realm of one, clomiphene pharmacology, experts that have written, published more than 70 papers in um, the study of clomiphene itself, the drug, and how it's broken down within our body. And then also another expert from the Institute of, uh, who's worked in the Institute of Doping in Maastricht. And they're both scientists with multiple published papers. Like I said, it was outside my remit at this point, so we sought their expertise. We passed on all the information that we had gathered, his, his blood tests, his genetic SNPs, um, and the VADA results. And then they, and we commissioned them, um, and they came back to us suggesting with further evidence saying that actually the amount that was found in, clomin, uh, sorry, in Connor's urine of clomiphene and the actual breakdown of clomiphene, the metabolite of it, was consistent with the metabolite or the breakdown products of clomiphene if it's coming from chicken as the source. And that's Not what we're, now, and now we, we have to believe this now, do we? That, that Ben is a special case and that this proves beyond any doubt um, not so much that, a special that case. he's innocent what, of what taking two, any drugs that what were are prohibited. Two, what are two specialists shown? We've been working on this for years. It's affected professional cyclists, athletes, tennis players and boxers before all having the same case. And one of the things, and Mohamed, you may want to talk about this, and what it, what it said to us, if me and you took the same things, they may not come out in the same way based on our genetics. I understand, I understand. And in Connor Ben's case, 
he came out differently because but of his genetic it, makeup. Doesn't it say a little bit more than that? Doesn't it say that the metabolising of chloroform in his system is is commensurate with consuming something like yes. eggs rather than having it doped? Yes. So the way he metabolises it. But I'm interested to see how you've yeah, managed yeah. to correlate the two. Have we? Have, I'm assuming the doctor will be able to answer this question. Yes, please. If we're talking about comparing the likely Absolutely. outcome or the reality of scientific outcome, which says clearly this metabolization of this uh, this drug has come in a certain methodology, have you been able to compare what the metabolism would look like if you were if Connor were doping, and so that you can see the comparison? Or is or am right. I going yeah, off on so, a tangent that doesn't make a lot of no, sense? You're, ab you're absolutely you're absolutely right there, Simon. Um, so there was a study in 2022 conducted. Um, that compared athletes or individuals, participants that took oral chlorophenes, yep. the injected uh, versus chick uh, eggs that had been come from chickens that were injected with chlorophene. And you can see it's the outcomes are markedly different. Yeah, so there's actually a published study. In but this this, but again, that if the, we're the getting into the territory of uniqueness, yeah. how does that then translate but, into the fact that Connor, Connor. Has a, is a unique yeah. individual? He metabolizes, thinks something different from myself or Jim or Rennie. How do we then draw so, a parallel between tests that have been done on other people and Connor himself? Well, I'm coming to that. So right. basically, the, the study showed that the breakdown products, the metabolites of the clomiphene, that were detected in the urine of the different participants, one from oral and one from the eggs, yep. were different. Then the same metabolites that were found in Connor were consistent with the metabolites that were found in the participants that took eggs. Eggs, right. That were injected clomiphene. So that's the that's so that's, that's the, the second part of the yeah. exactly that's the second Doctor, part Doctor of the Doctor Anya, what many people are asking this lunch hour, looking at the messages as you're talking, as Rennie's talking, as Simon is talking at this stage. If this is a genetic issue for Connor, why hasn't the test shown a positive response, a positive result before? Why it's hasn't really he tested question. positive before? So he's tested positive twice, I believe, and then subsequently tested negative. We know that we don't know when he consumed the the eggs that came from um, that were injected with clomiphene, but it can stay for him up to four months, okay, even longer yeah. after the consumption of eggs. He may well have had normal eggs thereafter. So we, we we don't we we can't correlate that, but what we can, can we can confirm that the breakdown products that were found in his urine are yeah. consistent with the breakdown products that come from eggs from the study. I understand. We're, we're going to take a quick break. As we head to it, Dr. Enya, in a word, does this exonerate Ben? I believe so. I believe it exonerates Ben, and it, we should be looking at athletes from an individualized testing perspective. Okay, so Rennie Carrio, does this exonerate biology? Ben? Yes, but we should be having this interrogation by UCAT, not your honourable selves. It should be UCAT. And well, we've, you will be, won't you? You're, we, gonna, you're presenting the evidence to we've them. We've reached out to them, we've contacted them, we're waiting for them to come to us. And why they're not coming to us, I'm struggling to understand. Okay, while we're on air, we'll try and contact them our, our, ourselves. Your 100% essential download, Outspoken with White and Jordan. Right now, we're in the presence of Rennie Karayol, MBE, who, along with Dr. Mohammed Enayat, uh, leading Conor Ben's team of advisors. Of course, Conor Ben, uh, of course, widely reported to have failed not one but two uh, medical tests prior to him fighting Chris Eubank Jr., a fight that never happened. But now, uh, Rennie and Dr. Mohamed Inayat say that they hope this will all but exonerate Conor Ben and that he can begin living normally again. So in the meantime, the ball, it would seem, Rennie, 
Dr Eniat is firmly in the court of UCAD and the British Boxing Board of Control. Uh, before we go back to Dr Eniat, Rennie, tell me, is that is that the next port of call? That, that, that you've pushed all that you've got, that you believe exonerates Ben to, to UCAD, to the British Boxing Board of Control. But am I right in thinking you're still waiting for some kind of response? Yes. What we've found, I think, is beyond Connor. It might even be beyond boxing. And it might be for sport in general. It's what Simon was alluding to. We've found a breakthrough, something that no one, a young 26-year-old elite athlete, shouldn't go through what Connor's been through. He hit a low point. The reason we got involved, because he was an emotional low point, and I've seen that before in senior executives. There's something that we... I've, I've learned the match between coaching chief executives and elite boxers. Best job in the world, toughest job in the world, loneliest job in the world. In the ring, there's someone in their corner. Outside the ring, I'm not sure I quite see that. Right, so he, Ben needed help. And he enlisted your help, and you've come to his a rescue in this friend situation. Me like going on Piers Morgan and everything else that he did, I don't when he seemingly that. seemed ill-equipped at the time, was the wrong Unbriefed, tactical move to make. Unprepared, uncoached, no narrative. Let's be frank about it. So this. when did he first get in touch with you two? So a mutual friend introduced us. Just said, "I need every favour you've ever owed me. I need you to see someone." And now he's sitting in my office, and I saw a broken wreck. Couldn't string two words together, emotionally wrought and just at a low point. No different to when I first met Ricky Hatton after his low point. No different to when I met David Hay at his low point. And the similarities, they've got lots of support for getting in the ring and knocking people out. I don't see a lot of support for anything else. And I didn't see it with Connor. Do you think Ben has been ill-advised, Rennie, the way he's been... Attempting to conduct his own defence. It, it's been inappropriate. It's not been... We, we've got involved because there was a gap, let's be frank. There was a big gap. And there wasn't a narrative. There wasn't any defence that I could see. There wasn't... There wasn't a plan. So we grabbed it and put it in place. And I speak to him every day. I have to. You speak to him every day? Every day. He knows you're on with Simon and myself this lunchtime? Yes, he does. All right. Okay. So we've got him in a different place now. He wasn't in a great place when he's in a much better place now. On day one when you met him, Rennie, did he say, I'm innocent of this? Consistently. Consistently without fail. And we wouldn't have touched him if we thought for a moment he wasn't. Dr. Rennie, I know your time is limited because... You're a busy doctor. You've got patience to see. Um, many people getting in touch. You picked a very good time to be on with us. Monday lunchtime. I mean, it's peak listening time. Convince us then, Dr. Eniat, that this, as Rennie is saying, this will be the conclusive evidence that Connor needs to allow him to resume his career. Convince us in layman's terms. I think one of the, you know, being involved in this uh, case and seeing the subsequent um, uh, questions that, and you know, the subsequent conversations that are happening. It's been interesting to observe chronologically what's happened. You know, when the WBC came out and Conor Ben himself came out and said, no, it's not because of eggs. That's been a real sticking point. And if we, in the interview that we did with Matt, he went into detail, explained why he actually came out and said that. And it was because the defense that he was putting together with his team at the time was suggesting that there was contaminant coming from the equipment rather than anything else 
right? And so he didn't, they didn't even consider the fact that his own individual biology could explain why he's accumulating clomiphene in the first place. And that's, that's why he vociferously came out and said, no, it's not eggs. Um, and so when this was presented to him, he said, look, actually, your genes don't work and you can't remove clomiphene wherever it came from. And the amounts that you have, trace amounts, are consistent with coming from potentially coming from chicken. But furthermore, the breakdown within your urine of the clomiphene products that you're, you're excreting are consistent from the studies, from a study that's been conducted commissioned by um, and, you know, sponsored, partly sponsored by um, uh, the Institute of uh, Anti-Doping, the actual breakdown products are coming from the eggs that are injected with clomiphene. And, right. you know, those two right. put together makes right. it really convincing. Right. I mean, you two are professionals at the top of your game, clearly. And you wouldn't have come near us if you didn't think you had a, a, a case to offer and that Correct. the facts were there. Correct. When are we going to see him fighting again, Rennie? We're not involved. Our job was about his reputation. We take no interest in his fighting, the promotion of the game. We're just here to protect his reputation, salvage his reputation. And let me be clear to the points you, you made to earlier, which I happen to agree with. When he was first charged, when he's found to have failed the test, his response was a boxer's emotional response. And I think... The coaching we've done, that wouldn't happen again today. Right. This will be and conclusive. It, it was, this will be conclusive well, well, in your eyes. But it won't be, Jim. Uh, it will It will give everybody that uh, has put Clomathon on the doping list a headache because you've got to look at the, the way that the body absorbs this particular substance. And that means you're now looking at the reality of whether strict liability because the obligation upon Connor doesn't shift. The evidence starts to move weight in a direction yes. that gives Connor an opportunity to have a different kind of dynamic with UCAD that he should have engineered in the first place, yes. which is embracing the situation rather than going on Piers Morgan and telling the British Boxing Board of Control they can go and do one and so can UCAD. All of that are PR choices that, for whatever reason, Connor decided to make. He decided to turn it into an adversarial situation. I understand your point of view about zero sum I'm not games. sure he knew any other way. Well, okay. but Which the, is why we're here, but it, it, it is perplexing for because he has heavyweights around him, like this guy Mike Morgan that was structuring and engineering him in a certain way and wanted him to go down a certain path. But where we are now, Jim, is he still... Has he had his hearing yet? With UCAD? Yeah. No. Right, so then you'll be in that hearing. So yes. the fact of the matter is that you'll have the opportunity to present your evidence. Yes. And the reasons why you haven't heard from UCAD yet, I suspect, is because you haven't had a hearing date. They should have acknowledged them. Well, they, we've uh, we've what, contacted them. We well, haven't they, had they don't have to acknowledge them. The, the fact of the matter is when the hearing date is applied for and the hearing date is set, a hearing date that could have happened... There's eight, a stage before that, Simon, in that just talk to us. We've contacted them. They've said, what do you want to talk about? We've gone back yeah, to them. We've heard yeah, nothing but, you, but with due respect, you're assuming that UCAD's process has to be adapted to your no. newfound intelligence. Uh, so anyone. I think just contact anyone. Courtesy Fine. of an acknowledgement. again, you're, you're, you're not in this equation. You're in this equation because Conor Ben brings you into his defence team and brings you into an environment where he will answer the charges. Thereby, that I am. You're 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken. Don't forget to leave a five-star review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back tomorrow.